She rose and stretched. She was wearing a T-shirt and nothing else. She stepped into a pair of underpants. It didn't seem right to stand bare-assed before God, though, of course, everyone was supposed to be naked before him. Not that she thought of God as a seeing presence or a him. Still, she slipped on a pair of red running shorts over the underpants. Barefoot, she padded across the wood floor and removed a large zippered velvet envelope from her top drawer. She left a smaller velvet envelope behind. While she was up, she shut off the air conditioner. It had been in the high eighties the past few days, but Deborah hated the artificial cool. There was something dishonest about it, though this was the kind of observation that drove Reuben, who had bought the air conditioner for her, crazy. She always imagined that the heat was still lurking somewhere in the room, hidden behind an invisible veil of refrigerated air. If you exerted yourself only slightly, you felt hot and realized that the whole thing was a kind of physical illusion. This belief was, in Reuben's words, a pantheistic delusion. But Reuben was gone, though his machine lived on, sucking life out of the room in his absence. Deborah's grandfather had been surprisingly tall. She was reminded of this as she unfurled his large prayer shawl, ivory white with bold zebra stripes of black. Though she was five foot six inches tall, when she raised the shawl over her head, she was completely shrouded. She loved the feeling of being wrapped, hidden away inside the soft armor of her grandfather's talus. In the meditation she now recited, God was described as robed in light— Deborah held the ends of the prayer shawl together above her head and felt, for a moment, blissfully cocooned. When Reuben had seen her in her talus for the first time, he had called her a transvestite. Remembering it now, she burned with shame and indignation. He had pretended it was a joke and flashed her his gleaming bearded smile, but she could see the disgust in his eyes. He had nothing against women praying, he told her. But why did they have to pray dressed like men? Reuben was orthodox. Of course he had slept with her anyway. Not, she felt sure, the only one of the 613 commandments he had violated. But perhaps the one he most easily discounted. He had shown more anxiety about the state of her kitchen. The morning after, she'd found him sifting through the silverware to make sure she indeed had a set for milk and a set for meat. Deborah lowered the talus so that the strip of gold embroidery lay behind her slender neck. She gathered up the extra material on either side and threw it over her shoulders, doubling the great square of striped cloth back on itself so that she wore it like a cape. The tassels hung down in front and behind. It annoyed her to be thinking of Reuben now in her moment of prayer with his ortho-arrogant awkwardness, his air of entitlement and insecurity. Modern Orthodox men were macho sissies, he wasn't the first one she dated. They expected to inherit the earth, but they had a nagging inborn fear that they might be driven from it first. In this respect, they weren't quite American, and Deborah supposed it was this mild foreignness, coupled with her own weakness for ritual rigor, that had drawn her to them in the first place. She had met Reuben in his synagogue, not hers. She herself must have held a certain exotic appeal for him, a reform woman rabbi. She must not have seemed quite American either, or quite Jewish. 
She resented terms like orthodox and reform. They seemed a substitute for the inner state. Did she have a reformed soul? She didn't feel that way, especially draped in her grandfather's tallis. Reuben can kiss my reform rabbinical cross-dressing ass. She hurled herself into Matovu. How goodly are your tents, O Jacob, her heart pounding, trying to recapture the tented pleasure of the moment before. But it wasn't until she had blazed through Adonolam and Yigdal, containing Maimonides' thirteen principles of Judaism, beginning with the existence of God and ending with the resurrection of the dead, that she settled down. Deborah loved the praise part of prayer. In rabbinic school, there had always been students who wrestled with praise and took a what-has-he-done-for-me-lately attitude toward God, an attitude of human entitlement and anger. Deborah had never understood this. To praise God made her feel whole, and she recited Birkot HaShachar with a schoolgirl's relish. Blessed are you, God, who gives sight to the blind. Blessed are you, God, who clothes the naked. Blessed are you, God, who did not make me a slave. She was using her grandmother's little prayer book, which made no apologies for Blessed are you, God, who did not make me a woman. Deborah skipped that blessing and recited the female alternative. Blessed are you, God, who made me according to his will. She found her groove and raced along, fast but focused, gathering the four tassels of her talus in her right hand when she came to the Shema and her blessings, so that she could kiss them every time she uttered the word Sitsit. And you shall look on them and remember the commandments, and not be seduced by desires of the heart or of the eye. By the time she got to the Amidah, she had forgotten the distress of the morning and was moving smoothly along ancient verbal tracks of praise and petition, one of her liturgy professors had spoken of prayer in the language of sports. You break through the wall, he said, and you're no longer thinking, I'm running, I'm running, you're simply running. It's a beautiful state. She felt that way now. She entered the Amidah almost before she knew it, bowing and bending and feeling the words alive inside her. But then the persistent whisper in her blood distracted her. Again she thought, Someone is dying. Was it the hospital getting to her at last? Her sister, Rachel, had been telling her that she spent too much time there, which, considering the fact that Rachel was a doctor, was laughable. Though she was spending more and more of her time among the sick, She'd begun visiting congregants, but had found herself spending time with other patients, too, Jews and non-Jews, old people and babies alike. Rabbi Zweibach, the senior rabbi, was only too happy to give her hospital detail, and for the past two years half her salary was paid by a grant that supported ministering to the sick. Deborah had found in the hospital an air of truthfulness, and, strange to say, vitality that she could not account for. She sometimes felt the way she imagined a soldier might feel who discovers to his astonishment that he likes war, that in the thick of battle, bullets whizzing around his head, comrades falling, death undeniable, life its brightest and most immediate and most perishable, his inner state has finally found its outer expression. In the hospital, Deborah found not fear, but, oddly, 
a kind of peace. Not that she had abandoned her other responsibilities. This very Sunday she would be performing a wedding. Now that was scary. Deborah had met with the couple twice, and it seemed clear they weren't ready for marriage. Janet was only twenty-four and had already broken off the engagement once, during which time she had briefly returned to an earlier non-Jewish boyfriend. Deborah felt this woman was still torn, but a pleaser by nature she had reconciled because she could not bear to assert herself in a lasting way. Deborah had heard only a tiny piece of this story from Janet when they had spoken on the phone, and had imagined she would learn more. But with her fiancé beside her, the woman said almost nothing. The man, Rick, a tax attorney. Deborah tried not to hold his profession or his goatee against him. Did most of the talking, and he did it in a controlling way. Deborah resented. We've had some times, Rick had said, but we've worked through them. We're ready to make the leap. He kept on talking without pause about what kind of service they wanted, and about his father who had died, and about how Janet's sister would be playing the flute. He left Deborah no opening, so she had cut him off abruptly. Have the invitations already gone out? She asked more harshly than she'd intended. Tact was never her strong suit. And when she was agitated or annoyed, it went out the window. Man and wife to be had both looked at her in surprise, but she had persisted. She blushed at the memory of it. I understand there have been some problems with fidelity. At last, Rick, waking from his stupor, had snapped at her. We both have therapists. We're not looking for.